Hey, Task Talks listeners. What can you do when you have a student who struggles with writing? You use the FAW. It's a comprehensive test of written expression that identifies the possibility of dysgraphia along with the specific subtype. The FAW screening form is a shorter version that measures the core features of writing. Both the full form and the screening form offer quick online scoring via PAR iConnect. Learn more at parinc.com backslash F-A-W or contact your PAR assessment consultant, Theo Miron at T-M-I-R-O-N at parinc.com. Welcome back to the Task Talks podcast, podcast where we talk about all the goings-ons in the world of school psychology and other random musings. I am Chris Ponce, as always. Hello, Chris, and this is Brooke, all the way from West Texas. How's it going, Brooke? I am doing well. I uh, had a conversation tonight uh, at the restaurant where they were asking me if I would rather go without socks for the rest of my life or wear my shoes on my wrong feet for the rest of my life. And I thought that might be a great place to introduce this podcast. But then I figured we might have uh, some empirical debates about that. I think that's a good point. That's a good point. And our other host for the evening. And this is Megan Medina joining you from Dallas. How's it going? And I'm in Saytown, San Antonio, as always, I have not moved. Um, so have you guys had a good week besides what your answer was, Brooke? Because you didn't really tell us what your answer was. Because yeah, so I would I go was, personally sockless because I do sockless a lot but, as it is. But see, like one of our guests tonight, both of our guests tonight kind of live in the in the northeast or in the in the in the Midwest. And so there's lots of snow and lots of below freezing temperature. So do you really want to go without socks for the rest of your life? Well, I think the assumption would be my cultural context isn't going to change. I'm not I don't think I'm leaving the state of Texas anytime soon. So Mm. with that in mind, I don't think I'm going to go sockless. I mean, I have we have taken trips to South Dakota. And it does get quite cold there. And it's not just one pair of socks, it's multiple pairs of socks. You got like out in San Antonio, you have to work layers, right? It starts off cold and then it gets warmer as the day goes on. But in South Dakota, you just keep layers on your feet in like December or January. And that works best, best for you because your feet stay warm. So no, no obligatory Hawaiian uh, reference right now. No, 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 nothing. I went the opposite way. I went the opposite. I went, I went right. north instead of uh, Pacific West. So, All right. <laughs> what about you, Megan? Sockless or shoes on the wrong feet? I would go sockless, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, this is actually interesting because I did, I did have a question for you guys, and this is somewhat of a style choice. But I was thinking the other day. So in high school, going back to the Hawaiian thing, I had like really shaggy hair, and I always wore puka shell necklaces. And I, and I look back at those pictures, and I regret immensely every minute of it have you ever had a style choice you're like jesus who let me walk around like this and mostly i blame my parents and my brother because he did the same exact thing so well my i don't know if this is yeah style is my eyebrows used to be very thin i used to (laughs) pluck them and now i look back at pictures and i'm just like why didn't someone tell me to fix them or draw them and see, you have an older sister, Megan, so that should have been on her, right? I know, but she also had thin, I think it was like a 2000s thing, like early 2000s thin eyebrows. Yeah. But. Brooke, what was your bad style choice in the 80s? 80s? 
<laughs> obligatory reference to my age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so 84 was a bad year for me. Uh, there was, uh, it was the year that I decided I was going to be a skateboarder. Um, oh, man. And it was kind of like, I don't, do you remember the parkour trend a few years ago where everybody yeah. would do stuff? So me and my friends would pretend like we were skateboarders and we would jump <laughs> off of things without our skateboards. And then we, tried to snort um pixie sticks uh Jesus, you Brooke. Know, yeah it's, <laughs> it's bad it's bad anyways i vividly remember almost every day that summer wearing this pale pink t-shirt with pale pink shorts that matched my pale pink skateboard and, and where did you grow up again so i grew up in in midlands texas of and course, that of did course. not fly over well so, skateboard you know city yeah, of the world right yeah there you go yeah not so 80, San, not santa cruz no no 84 was your woodstock it sounds like so. <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh man well speaking of great style let's class up this joint a little bit and introduce our awesome guest for this episode um we have dr andrea amador and tyler kitson joining us today um and they they do some pretty cool stuff with nas but i'm gonna kind of let them speak about it but first you know, we kind of wanted our guests to kind of introduce themselves, but also talk about how they got into this world, whether you're currently a practitioner or you've moved on to do something else grander. Um, but we'll start with you, Dr. Amador, like kind of how did you become a school psychologist? You know, what are you currently doing? You know, what what are you how, how are you helping progress our field? How about that? <laughs> sure. Well, first, let me start by thanking you all for inviting us to come. We love the Texas School Psych Association and um, have visited Texas and are excited to be back, even if it's just virtually. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> so I live in Boston, very proud to be from Boston, um, proud of our sports teams, proud of our history, and excited that the NASP conference will be here next year. So we hope boom, boom. all of you from Texas come on up to Boston for the NASP conference. That was a great <laughs> plug, by the way. <laughs> It'll be cold, Chris, so wear your layers of socks but bring the conference center is completely inside. So if you don't want to be cold, you can be inside. <laughs> but if you want to do some ice skating on the frog pond, you can have a really special moment in Boston. What a sentence that Texas people do not hear. Ice skating on a frog pond. <laughs> in the center of the city, right? Um, so I live right in Boston. I'm super proud to be the Senior Director of Behavioral Health for the Boston Public Schools. Um, I also serve as the Mass Delegate uh, for NASP, and I'm an active member on my Mass School Psych Association, and we are hosting a party during the conference. Anybody who comes is going to get a super awesome gift from us, so the Mass School Psych Association looks forward to meeting all of you guys, too. Um, and then Tyler and I have the privilege of co-chairing the NASP Practice Model Committee, um, so very involved in NASP. Um, how I came to the field is I always wanted to be a teacher. And I learned in high school that there was a, a big need for special ed teachers. So I decided that I worked really well with all kinds of kids that would be great for me. So I got my undergraduate degree in special ed, I got my first teaching job, and really quickly realized there were problems with special ed in my first district. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and one of the problems was they had me fresh out of college in a classroom by myself with a student that they weren't able to support. And that was their idea of instruction. Was it like yeah. a behavior support necessary or academic or both? Yeah, it was, it was kind of both, but primarily behavior. And sadly, 
just getting the student out of the class was their goal. And <clears throat> when I would try to include him in class and in now what we call inclusion, <clears throat> they really weren't set up to support him. So I quickly realized that being a teacher and not having the control over what was right for your kids was frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, my stepmom was a special ed teacher for years and at the end of her career became a school psych. So I said, I'm gonna do that too. Um, and I was lucky enough to go to the school psych program at Northeastern and become a school psychologist. I've always worked in urban districts. Uh, I speak Spanish and so I've always served um, all of our students in the districts I work in, but uh, a clear fondness for Latinos, my husband from Honduras. And so uh, <laughs> and my passion is serving urban youth. I worked for years as a school psychologist in Boston Public Schools before I became an administrator. So that's, that's awesome. kind of me in a nutshell. So um, before I move on to Tyler, can you kind of talk about your current position? So you see your senior director of behavior health, is that what right. you said? And so what is that kind of entitled? So I have the privilege of leading the school psychologist and social workers in our district. Um, we have the world's best school psychologist in Boston. So come meet us. Um, our school psychologists have adopted the NAS practice model. And so they provide a continuum of behavioral health services from prevention and early intervention to at-risk and special ed services. Um, we have worked with our partners at Children's Hospital in UMass Boston to create what we call the Comprehensive Behavioral Health Model. And it's an MTSS model designed to meet the behavioral health needs of students. And it's used in uh, 73 schools in Boston out of our 125. But we've also partnered with 45 school districts around the world that are trying to do the same thing and, and copy elements of, of CBHM. So we're, we, as we're providing these range of services to kids, we also spend a great deal of time advocating for more school psychologists, for an enhanced role for school psychologists. And we believe all school psychs are leaders. So I think you mentioned, Chris, that um, what, I can't remember how you phrased it, but you said something about people who've gone on to better things. To me, there's yeah. nothing better than a school psychologist oh. because every day they're the ones on the ground making a difference in the lives of kids. And just today, one of my school psychs texted me a picture of flowers that a parent had sent her, thanking her for helping her kid. That's awesome. like, there, there's nothing better than the work school psychs do day in and day out. And then as an administrator, my job is just su to support them and make it possible for them to be successful. Well, thank you for that. I feel like we don't get appreciated enough, to be honest with you, at school psychs, and that is not a joke. I don't. I, I remember every every single day, last day of school, you know, all these teachers get presents, you know, and things like that. And we're usually the ones that are just like, "Oh, that's really cool. You have thirty seven bags in your room," and you know, I got. But but every single time I get something, even just the smallest gift card, I'm like, I appreciate it so much, and I want to go thank the people that gave it to me because. It just, it helps, you know, I think that's really nice. So thank you for that. Compliment. You got to come work in Boston, Chris, with the school <laughs> get gifts. Oh, I can't go into Patriots territory. Come on now. <laughs> Last question. Are you a Tom Brady fan and are you annoyed he won a Super Bowl with somebody else? We are so proud of Tom. He'll always be a Patriot and we're, we're super proud of him and we're just trying not to rub it in too hard to you. Chief that's fair. Fans. That's fair. That's fair. He never has to pay for a meal in, in Boston, right? <laughs> <laughs> loved. awesome all right so let's transition to tyler tyler tell us a little about yourself and how awesome it is to be a kansas city chiefs fan because we both know that is the the hierarchy 
of NFL football fandom. So <laughs> that's, you know, I think that's a great uh, transition. And as Andrea was talking about Tom Brady, um, we had some texts going on during the Super Bowl and um, it was very depressing. It was uh, rough for us. Yes, it was rough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> however, the year before was great. Um, so I'm, I'm living, living on that high and uh, hanging on to a moment that we will have again in the future. So, and, and, and um, what was, and what was Pat Mahomes quote this week? We're going 20 and 0. Watch. 20, 20 and 0. 20 well, I want I want Buccaneers to be 19 and 0 and the Chiefs to be 19 and 0 and enter the Super Bowl for the undefeated record. That would be oh, awesome. Boy. And then there's Enough. me. And then there's so yeah. And then the Cowboys fans. So, <laughs> so we yes. we yeah, we ahead. definitely have been um, you know, big Chiefs fans here in Kansas. Um, so that kind of leads into um, where I live, which is uh, in Overland Park, which is about 30 minutes away from the Kansas City area. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a suburb and I'm actually going to be moving in, in August to a new place, which is um, a little further away from Kansas City, but um, it's a, a place called Shawnee, Kansas. And I've lived in Kansas my whole life. I grew up in Hayes, Kansas. Um, my mom is actually a school psychologist and she was um, a component of definitely how I got into the field. And so I went to the University of Kansas for my undergrad degree um, in, in psychology. I really wanted to be a clinical psychologist at, at the PhD level and um, work with patients who had depression, specifically adults. Um, however, uh, as I was applying for grad school and everything, I really kind of changed my focus from the treatment aspect of people who had been um, having depression for most of their life and, and saying like, well, if I was on the prevention end, maybe we wouldn't have to have as many people treating those people. Um, and so that's where I then changed my mind and I really wanted to go into clinical, or sorry, into school psychology and um, change that interest, which then led me to go to the University of Kansas um, for my education specialist degree, which is where I met my wife. And she's also a school psychologist in uh, the same school district that I am, which is the Olathe Public Schools. Uh, this is my sixth year in the district. Um, we'll be starting my seventh year um, next year. And my wife, during 2020, graduated with her PhD in school psychology. So um, she kind of got robbed from that, but we got <laughs> to celebrate this year. So, but still, that's so. What is it like being married to a school psychologist? Because we it, feel like we know everything, but you know, when you're able to at least have. You, you guys know about what's going on, right? My wife mm -hmm. is a special education teacher. She's about to, you know, take her BCBA exam. So we're in that type of world. But how is it like being married to one when you are one? <laughs> I will be honest. I think it's incredible. It's an incredible opportunity to be able to communicate on a level that many spouses are not able to. Um, and to be able to understand what the other person is going through we both have a similar level of passion. So there's not like one person is super interested in, in volunteering and leadership and the other person is just kind of okay with the status quo. We're both very passionate and uh, we work uh, as a really great team in our district. And we're both on our strategic planning committee for our school psych services. Um, so we work a lot to, to um, align our practices in the district with the NAS practice model. So. That's, That's awesome. kind of how I found school psychology and where I'm at right now. That's awesome. 
That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for introducing yourselves. I'm going to let Brooke kind of take it from here and kind of seg us into the main part of this episode. So go for it, Brooke. Yeah, so I've, I've known uh, Andrea and Tyler for maybe three or four years now um, through the NASP practice model committee. And um, so I guess uh, just as it, Tyler just mentioned um, the practice model. Um, and, and so I guess you know, maybe this is just a time to, to briefly uh, discuss the practice model, how it came to about, how it came to be about, and um, how you joined that committee. Sure, um, I'll start and then turn it over to Tyler. So um, the practice model committee was developed to raise awareness and provide resources around the practice model. So it was uh, released in 2010, but we're still finding all this time later that some folks who aren't as involved in NASP or maybe their state association don't know about it. Um, if you're like me and Brooke who graduated before the practice model was developed, um, you know, you, you may not know if you haven't gone to a training at your state association. So NASP and its infinite wisdom created a committee um, to really encourage people, tell them what it's about and, and share resources. And I was asked to join the committee as a committee member um, because of the work that Boston Public Schools school psychologists have done in, in uh, the comprehensive behavioral health model. We really do live the practice model. And so I was asked so that they could have that practitioner voice of somebody actually trying to do the work. And, and I was really, honored to do that because again we believe in Boston that school psychologists are leaders they're leaders in the building they're leaders in the district and it's our obligation to also be leaders in our state association and the national association so I was honored to to join and Tyler joined when he was still a student is that right Tyler yeah Tyler's Correct. a grad student yeah so I um had the opportunity so in, in uh, June of 2015 was actually when we first met as a committee, it, it uh, initially was a task force that was um, like once something is seen as um, it needs to be addressed continually year after year and more resources are needed for it, then they turn it into a standing committee. So that's what happened in, in 2015. Um, and it was a strategic goal um, area of NASP. And so um, I had talked to Todd Savage about being interested in, in a leadership opportunity. And, and he said there's this new committee that's being formed um, about the practice model. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. So that's where I started. Um, felt very overwhelmed because I'm around all these incredible leaders, um, but I had so many people that I've learned from over the years and have developed my leadership skills. And, and I, I think that um, I'm, I'm very pleased and um, in the work that our, our committee's done and the, and the leadership that um, both Andrea and Andrea Klein, who was our previous um, chair, have have led us to do. The, um, uh, how was, did you become involved, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did I become involved? Um, I uh, I think I responded to an inquiry um, that I saw on a message board um, at one point and submitted my application, and um, evidently nobody else submitted one, so. <laughs> so I was chosen by default, I, I suppose. Um, I think you're undervaluing your your abilities. Brooke. I, uh, it has been it has so. been uh, it has truly been one of the greatest joys of uh, my professional career. 
um, to be involved with this group um, because it's really a group that is trying to do things to um, advance our profession and our discipline and um, do really good things for kids. Not that, not that any other NASP committee is not, um, but I have, I've seen a different side of, of the profession and very much value and um, very much encourage anybody who's interested in leadership and advocacy to, um, to look for these opportunities to get involved in, in, advoc in, uh, in committee work. Hey, I got a, I got a quick question and you maybe somebody already said this, but so how many people are in the group? Is it, and cause I know obviously we got Massachusetts, Texas, Kansas. Is it from all across the nation? I know it's NASP, but theoretically it yeah. should be. But... Actually, Chris, I was going to ask if I could put in a plug for the NASP want ad process. So as we're all saying, we came about it in different ways, but we want everyone to know that there's lots of leadership opportunity and volunteer opportunities in NASP, bigger ones with bigger commitments and also smaller micro volunteering. Um, and the way to find out about that is to be a NASP member and to sign up to the NASP listservs. And there's a process called want ads. When a committee like ours needs someone, we created a want ad telling people what the committee would be about, what the level of volunteering would be needed. And then people just apply. Anybody can apply who's a member of, of, of NASP. And for most committees, what we want to ensure is diversity of representation of stakeholders. So as you mentioned, we've got me in the, in the Northeast and we've got Amber down from Louisiana, Brooke all the way out in Texas, Tyler in the middle. We have uh, folks from North Carolina and California. So we, have, we try to have geographical representation including urban, rural, suburban rep representation. And then we also want new career or intern and then late career. And we also want a mixture of uh, practitioners, administrators and faculty. And so Brooke is underselling all of the things he brought <laughs> to the committee. And one of them is that faculty perspective because we need to be, the practice model hits all those stakeholders and we need everyone's voice and pers perspective. So the committee, tries to maintain that balance when one person cycles off, we try to make sure that representation is there. Yeah. And leave the school flags, right? To hit all the hit all the boxes, right? We gotta make yeah. sure always make sure everybody's represented. Go Tyler. And we're we're actually a um, a lucky committee. So we have eight um, members I'm looking at right now. Um, one of we have a strategic liaison and then uh, through NASP. And then we also have three NASP staff members on our committee, which is um, rare as most NASP committees only have one staff member. So it's, it kind of, I think, um, shows the extreme value of the committee. It also shows all the areas that the practice model touches, right? So we need Kathy Cowan from communications and her expertise. We need Eric Rawson and his knowledge about licensure um, and those types of things. And then Stacy Skalski does the, um, a lot of the advocacy, right? And the Capitol Hill work and understands what it means to advocate and do the full role. So Tyler's right, like we have a lot of help on the committee, but it to me, it also highlights how broad this work is. Awesome, that's fantastic. It um, is true, it is truly comprehensive <laughs> um, yeah. as, as the practice model is. And I was looking, uh, I, was, I was actually reading some of the standards this week and I realized, you know, our newest 2020 standards 
um, kind of break down by professional practices, organizational principles, standards for uh, training, and then standards for credentialing. And it seems like the practice model committee kind of focuses on both the professional practices and the organizational principles. How would, how would y'all describe the difference between the two? Well, for me, and this is just the way I conceptualize it, so I, I welcome you, Brooke and Tyler, to jump in, but the organizational principles are things your district should be doing to help you be successful and to meet the needs of kids. And those professional practices are the things we're doing as the practitioner to make sure we're providing the best possible service for kids. Um, and so as we talk about the practice model, one thing is critically important, school psychologists having a wide range of skill sets that they spend time doing professional growth on, but equally important is having a school system that embraces that those organizational principles that allow you to be successful. So for example, um, I presented around the country and I've often heard people say, in my district, I'm not allowed to fill in the blank or in my district, I can only test. That's an organizational issue that needs to be addressed in order to do the practice model well. But uh, Tyler, do you wanna add to that? Yeah, I, I was gonna say, I think that um, one of the things that when people talk about the NAS practice model, they, well, previously it was the house graphic, but now it's the, the circle graphic um, with the different areas and domains of practice. That's kind of like what people think of when you say the practice model, they're not often thinking, oh yeah, the six organizational principles. Um, and I think that it's really important in, in what Andrea was saying about how <clears throat> if those things aren't in place, you can have a new superintendent, you can have a new special ed director come in and totally flip-flop everything that, that is maybe going well, but you don't have any policies or any procedures in place that say this needs to be happening. Um, so like just some examples of, I think some things from the organizational principles um, that are important would be like, having some sort of strategic plan for the delivery of the school psych services, making sure that your school psychs are satisfied with what's happening and um, surveying them through climate surveys, making sure that they have good supervision in place and good professional development opportunities. All these things that if you don't have those in place, it makes it really hard to go then and practice in those 10 areas that we've defined. And I would add to that, Tyler, you just made me think of the ratio. So it's important to make sure everyone knows that the NASP ratio has changed as a result of the updated standards. It's now one school site for every 500 kids. And uh, a lot of us on the board of director, the board um, and delegates really fought for that because we know you can't do the practice model well if you're serving 700 kids, 1,000 kids, if you're the only school site in a district. So I would just add, one of the crucial organizational principles that, that allow us to do our job well is fighting for that NASP recommended ratio. One for every 500. Well, if our listeners have any questions, they can always go listen to our LSSP shortage episode where we talk about the ways that we can try to fix it and just haven't done it yet. <laughs> go ahead, Megan, you have a question? Oh no, I was just looking, because um, NASP, you all have created great resources um, on the website for the NASP practice model, um, including that graphic, um, but also the implementation guide um, I found was a really great resource um, that I honestly hadn't looked deeply into until this year. Um, but I'm just 
just for our listeners who maybe are lost in the process or don't know where to start, or they're in a district where they're only being allowed to test, Andrea, like you mentioned, um, what would be your suggestion with this implement implementation guide? Who should they bring that to, or what should their first step kind of be in that process? That's a great question. Um, I think it, your process for change could be different in different districts based on stakeholders and who your partners could be. In our district, we first started with ourselves as school psychologists. And one school psych came back from NASP and said, I heard about this thing called the practice model. We convened a group of school psychs and said, who wants to do things differently? And we started internally. We looked at the practice model. We did the self-assessment, which is available on the website. And we said, what are our own areas of growth before we push for change in the district? So that's how we started. Our next step was finding partners. And we reached out to the partners we have, the university partners, the hospital partners, community allied partners, and said, we're about to embark on a big change. Who wants to join us? And in our case, the first two partners to step up were UMass Boston School of Psychology and Children's Hospital. And they've been our partner since 2010, really implementing this across the district. Um, but it, it involves, for, so for me, my suggestion would be do the self-assessment, figure out for your individual district what your greatest need is, because every district's different, and then find a coalition. Um, it shouldn't be done to psychologists, but should be driven by school psychologists. And so I'm really proud that it's the school psychs in Boston that said we want to do things differently. So that's how it happened for us. I don't know, Tyler, what you would yeah, I think, well, Andrea's spot on with that. Um, I, I think for somebody who hasn't maybe read through the um, the guide that obviously initially was intended um, to be a kind of active where we're updating links constantly and, and um, we're actually as a committee going to be updating things to reflect the new 2020 standards as well, because um, currently it's still on the 2010 standards. However, I think it's a great place to start if you want to start advocating um, and start understanding what are some practices that maybe might even be ineffective and you don't even know it. And then there are suggestions about how to make changes into more effective practices and stakeholder groups that you would take that information to. So, um, but as Andrea said, it's gonna depend uh, if you have a, a district that has 2000 people, or if you have a district that has um, 100,000 students, that's gonna make a big difference in how you um, approach that. So the reason we kind of, originally brought you guys on, um, at least for me. So I knew about the Excellence in School Psychology Services Recognition Program. And Brooke was the one that enlightened me about the actual committee that helps with that, right? Or helps determine that. So can you guys kind of talk about that? I know it was recently launched, correct? Yeah, it's in its second year um, of actually going through the program. We did have one year of a pilot groups. It was a uh, Several years ago, we, we had an idea of creating a recognition program that made it so that, that districts could, number one, show the great work they're doing, number two, evaluate the work that they're doing and provide suggestions and recommendations for how they can, they can improve, and number three would be to get the word out there about the practice model, that if you're a SB's awarded district, what does that mean? Oh, well, that means you're implementing the practice model. What does that mean? You know, so it, it starts the conversation of fully aligning our practices with the practice model. And uh, we've had a lot of success. We've had 
over 14 districts, I believe, that have applied in the last two years, and almost all of them have received recognition, with Boston Public Schools being one of those that received recognition. I know uh, Texas has a couple of school districts that have been recognized as well. Is that correct, Brooke? Yeah, Katie, uh, ISD outside of Houston and Northside ISD in San Antonio were recognized this past year, um, which they will actually be presenting about um, their process um, at the upcoming TASP convention in November in Georgetown. Which one, Katie or Northside? Uh, actually, they're going to be uh, on a panel together. Oh, oh, fantastic. I, I knew that. I totally knew that. As a task board member, I knew that was going to happen. So, <laughs> One of the things that we're hoping is that over time, uh, more and more districts will start to apply for this program because we do as a committee when we're reviewing these applications we're providing recommendations hoping that you know within a few years they can take those recommendations start to implement we know things aren't just going to happen right then and there but if if you can start to make some of those changes maybe in a few years later you can apply again be recognized as a, a district implementing the practice model and then we can kind of make change that way and Eventually, we see it as being a program that actually will require, require more people than just our committee members. If you don't feel like your district's ready yet, we still highly suggest that you reach out and get the application materials and use the process as a self-study. So we know from some districts that they feel like they're too far away from it, but they want to know where to start. That process can help you do that self-study along with the NAS self-assessment for an individual practitioner. This can be your self-assessment of sorts, if you will, for your department or your district. And so we encourage folks to look at it, even if you don't think you're ready to apply. So I guess, what are you guys kind of looking for? I know, obviously, excellence in school psychology, but like, what does that mean? What are your criteria? Well, we've broken up those organizational principles and professional practices and have looked for in the application process that are aligned with the standards. Mm -hmm. So we didn't invent anything new. And say like, you know, we, sounds good. <laughs> we Patriots fans must apply. Yeah. <laughs> we really just said, how do we take those sta standards and make them achievable, measurable and understandable to folks? And as Tyler said, it gives you almost a roadmap because you, you go along something you don't score in is a, your next action step. Yeah, and I think um, like what I was saying earlier about the different areas like with climate and making sure you have um, support systems in place, uh, having communication, effective communication between your site groups as well as um, other disciplinary areas, having effective supervision, consultation, mentoring, and um, professional development as well. So like those are the areas that are going to be looked at and then maybe you don't not necessarily implementing it fully at this moment but you are working towards it you're um you can show the draft documents that you have in place like those are going to be things too that at least if you don't have it in place are you working towards it being in place that's yeah. what we really want to see and i even asked earlier than i should have how do people apply if you go to the NAS website and go to the practice model, um, there's an ESPIS page specific, and then there's a link on that page that you can go to apply. Um, you can also download the matrix, which is what we use to, um, to score the criteria, and, and you can kind of understand what different areas are going to be evaluated. So even if you don't necessarily, we do recommend using 
um, the, the rubric to be able to apply for the program because you're, that's ultimately what's going to receive the recognition and, and the um, feedback. But if you want to do it as a self-assessment for your district, you can download it and just kind of look at where your district is in those areas and go ahead and start trying to make those changes. And do you have a list of everybody who's won it somewhere so that people can kind of go see? Because I mean, in my mind, it's, you know, what comes with it? What comes with becoming, you know, yep. an ESPS? You get That's a all crown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> badass, a crown, cool, cool, cool. For each LSSB, right? Or school psych in the district, right? So, but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so, and by the way, sorry, I'm, I'm taking a lot of the, the conversation up. Um, I've, I've been the lead on the ESPIS program, so I've been kind of heavily involved in all of, in all of this, but your, your question is a very good question about, you know, um, what are the, some of the perks? What are the reasons why you'd be doing this? Where's all this information? Um, so on the web, website where you go to the ESPIS program, it's going to talk about what are things that I'm going to get out of this, such as if you are a designation, any designation, you're going to be getting um, a letter of recognition um, that your district can use either to your administrators, supervisor, superintendent. Um, you get an online seal that you can use for like your signature or any documents that you would send saying that we're a SB's Excellence in School Psychological Service District. You get a frame certificate, an adaptable press release. Uh, you get acknowledgement on the NASP website. And you can go find that on the website and all the districts that have been in each category. Uh, two of the biggest things I think is depending on the size of your district and designation that you receive, you'll actually get a certain um, amount of money to, towards the online learning center. And the biggest one is you get uh, NASP re convention registrations for free. What? So depending on the size of your district, you may get seven if you have a massive district or you may only get one depending on your size of the district and, and your level of proficiency. So note to self, it's not just a plaque. Yeah. Well, I think, I think another perk as well is just having that re recognition draws other school psychologists to your district with the shortage. And mm -hmm. um, we're all looking for um, a workplace that um, we enjoy working at, that we can use all our skills and um, everything, all our knowledge and skills and not just testing. So I think that's also one of the biggest things is it draws people. Yeah. And I've seen too, uh, in the communities, I've seen people posting um, that they have positions open and they say, and they reference that they are an SB uh, recognized district. I would add two additional like perks. One, we've heard from districts across the range of implementation, even highly successful districts saying, we're going to use this for advocacy. So we're going to go back to our school committees, our principals and say, we need more school psychs so we can do even more of this work or so that we can raise our designation. So um, using it as an advocacy tool, we've heard a lot from districts. I know my own district, we've done that. And the other thing that we all benefit from when people apply is sharing resources. So We've heard such incredible things school psychs are doing across the nation and why reinvent the wheel. So right now the committee's in the process of reaching out to these great districts and saying, do we have your permission to share these documents as examples? So an example of your intern university contract, an example of your um, 
PD or your coaching model, what there's just amazing, amazing things going on. And for me, that's the biggest perk is just learning, taking great ideas from other people. And I think along those same lines that you and Megan even brought up, we, we want our position to be something that's seen as like, you know, highly sought after, right? And this just gives more credence to that, that the national organization is identifying districts all throughout the states, you know, that are worthy of this title, um, or maybe not title, but this, uh, this recognition, right? Um, and I think that kind of, at least to me, like, I want people to know, like, yeah, this is a great job to have, you know, come do what we do, you know, there's, people that look at us, we get put on websites, national websites and all that type of stuff. I don't know. I just think I'm very proud of our job and I want other people to know that they should be proud of our job as well. Yeah, that was actually, uh, Chris, one of the things that when um, I brought up to my school district uh, last year, just before COVID had happened, um, I probably brought it up in November and I wanted to create a strategic planning committee where we could look at all of this information on the organizational principles and different practice that we have and uh, form a committee to start addressing some of those areas. And um, one of the first steps that I did was talking to some of my superiors about how, think about being the only district in Kansas, only district in Kansas that has this recognition and how, how good that would look for us and, and how many people we would want or how many people would wanna to come to our district as a result of that and how we would be able to say that we're the best or not best, but like we're one of the best districts in the state that's providing these services for students. We can tell our families that this is the stuff where, you know, how many great things would come out of this and they bought into it, you know, and they, they saw value in it. And so we've been working as a committee in our district to um, go through those different areas and uh, make plans to, to make them better. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler, on that committee for your district, is it just kind of what we were talking about earlier? Is it just school psychologists on that committee or do you have other people, other stakeholders? That's a great question as well. We do include one of our coordinators um, that it, it would be similar to a role like Andrea has, but it's slightly different in that they don't just oversee school psychologists. They're seeing overseeing special ed um, providers OT, PT, everyone, you know, so that, that, that does give us a lot of input about how the district would work in doing these different activities. Um, so we do have one person there, but we split it up between different levels. Um, we have six school psychologists, high school, middle, elementary, early childhood covering different programs with students with high emotional needs, um, high intellectual needs, so that we could best kind of think like overall, what kinds of things do we want for kids? Not just elementary people who have an elementary perspective, but um, across the range. And there was actually a presentation we did at NASP um, this last year, kind of going over all the information of how to, to create a strategic plan and get buy-in. You know, I think it's also important to note that this doesn't require a large district to apply and to be recognized for. Um, the committee has seen districts with an N of, of one or two school psychologists who have applied for recognition. And so don't be intimidated. It's, it's really about what are you doing as a district to, to implement these things. Um, so for instance, um, you know, when I'm having conversations with 
uh, well, for instance, I received a, a, a cold call the other day from a school psychologist in Utah saying, hey, do you have any interns you can send our way? Because yes. um, evidently this national shortage is beyond um, <laughs> beyond Texas. And, and not uh, just a myth. It's an no, actual <laughs> no. It, it's, so you're getting, you know, getting cold calls from Utah. And so I'm, I'm talking to this lead school psychologist there and she's telling me about the things that they're doing. And I'm going, have you heard about the NAS practice model uh, ESPYs program? Because you're doing some really cool things and you need recognition for that. And so what are some of those things that you've seen as being innovative or moving in this direction that's trending towards excellence besides ratios, besides moving from testing to intervention to consultation, and besides moving from special ed to general ed? Are you seeing any kind of innovative practices that, that you would say really need to be recognized and highlighted? Yeah, absolutely. We are seeing that. As I said, we've had a lot of districts that have applied. And just as you referenced, Brooke, that we've had districts that have had only one school psych that is actually doing a great job of implementing the practice model. Now, I haven't reviewed all of the applications because I've only reviewed a few, but some of the things I've noticed are even small things like having a good job posting of like a comprehensive role um, of listing the different things that a school psych in this district will do. Having monthly meetings where their school psychs are discussing um, how they can coordinate their services. Uh, climate surveys, that's a big one that um, I had actually even posted on the, on the said no school psych ever and asked if somebody could provide a, an example of a climate survey and, and nobody had one, but one of our districts in the ESPYS um, program did have one. There's been evidence of strong MTSM MTSS implementation. Um, obviously, the Boston Public Schools has a, an incredible model, and having uh, their evaluation tools within their district being aligned with the NAS standards, not just your typical teacher standards. I absolutely agree with Tyler. There's a lot of incredible examples, and like Brooke said, from tiny schools and international schools to really big schools. Um, but <clears throat> I would add that Something that's impressed me from the applicants is really systematizing how they work. So as Tyler had said earlier, often we're at the whim of whichever boss we have next, whichever superintendent comes next, there's a lot of change in leadership in school districts. But the more a district can put down in proto protocols, policies, practices, how they operate and what they stand for, not only does it make it easier to onboard new staff and train interns, but it helps make sure the work continues through leadership's change. You know, so the school psychs aren't at the whim of whoever they're reporting to at that time. And so I've just found so many great examples of, of the operational part of, of how school psych departments should run really well and include the voice of school psychologists and the leadership, how the departments operationalize their relationships with community partners? How do they have formal internship training programs? All of those things I, I find incredibly helpful in my role as, a, as an administrator. And it's great to use NASP, both the resources we have that Megan mentioned on the website, but also NASP events, the conference, going to sessions, to hear from great things people are doing across the nation. And and using them because often I think we're prone to say I've got a problem I'm going to fix it I'm going to reinvent the wheel when I guarantee you someone else in the country has already thought about it had that problem and it's a resource out there that we can we can learn from. 
Do you have something, Brooke? So, Andrea, uh, kind of as we as we move towards closure, um, you know, and we'll give you guys a, a chance to kind of say any uh, any uh, conclusionary words. But and I'm going to put you a little bit on the on the hot spot because we didn't prepare you for this. But um, a few years ago, you designed a T-shirt for the uh, Massachusetts uh, Association of School Psychologists. Um, and uh, and is there a way that you can con describe that for our listeners? Um, because I think it it is the the perfect picture of of what we're doing in in moving towards the practice do you remember the t-shirt that i'm referring to no okay <laughs> so it was the evolution of a school psychologist you know brooke we have so many good ideas i couldn't remember which one you were talking about such brilliant uh, people <laughs> i'm the, the mass is a great state to work so if anybody's looking for a job we also pay one of the highest pay rates in the nation so come on up um <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. I'm going to not answer your question by answering another question, which is one of the most important things people can do to adopt the practice model is advocate, 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 advocate for more people for expanded role. But with that becomes marketing. Um, your first question to us, Chris, is how did you find school psychology? We people shouldn't have to find us like everybody should know that we're a field. So we do a ton of promotional materials in my department and the Math School Psych Association. And some might say that that's not a great use of funds. I completely disagree in all sincerity because marketing ourselves as being a solution is how people are gonna want more. I was actually in your wonderful state presenting and a, a member said, this all sounds lovely, but I could never do it because there's not enough of us. And my answer to that, I've heard that in many places is, there's never going to be enough of us if all we do is special ed testing, mm -hmm. because there's not principals who line up to pay for more special ed testing, right? In our district, principals are the ones that fight for people. School districts aren't lining up for that. But when we become the solution to people's problems at a building level, then people say, oh my God, I can't live without my school site. So when we started this journey, we had 48 school psychologists. Next year, we'll have 91. When we first started this journey, we had six social workers. Next year, every single school in BPS will have a social worker. When we started this journey, 20 of our schools had mental health partners. Currently, 120 have mental health partners. So I always joke that I can retire when there's a full-time school psych, a full-time social worker, and a full-time mental health partner in every school in BPS. And we're, we're getting there. We are That's getting phenomenal. there. But it only it didn't happen because we kept testing, waiting for someone to recognize our importance. It yeah. happened because we expanded our role, we showed people our importance, and then we had more people advocating. So I just say that to say, like, I do think advocating and that communication and marketing Brooks talking about go hand in hand. It's not frivolous. It's really important for people to know what, what you're trying to achieve. The T-shirt that he's talking about was actually created by Dr. Silas Pinto, who is a professor of school psychology at Tufts. And we just got him to let us use it. Um, and it's kind of that caveman evolution picture we're all familiar with. And the caveman is carrying like a testing kit. Mm -hmm. And then he evolves into the full range of school psychologists, like helping all kids. Yeah. Um, and we don't wanna offend anyone. We know there's always gonna be a critical role for assessment in school psychs. We just wanna say that's not the only role and that kids need mental health. So we can do a lot of things. Stuff. We can do a lot of things. I'll say when I walk around, if I know I'm going to a high school, 
because I do have two elementary schools. But when I go visit a high school, I typically wear a shirt that says some type of psychology or psychologist on it, because that's what usually draws eyes to it, right? School psychologist, nobody really knows what we do. I mean, that's just kind of a given, but kids will always ask, oh, you're Scott, you're a psychologist. And then I get to engage that conversation with them. And as if I'm getting one person, I mean, that's one more, right. That knows what we're doing. And then maybe that could spread out to other people. So I do try to get our name out there as best as I can without just shouting it from rooftops and walking around with a megaphone, trying to tell everybody what we do. <laughs> but like Brooke said, we are getting towards the end. We do like to do like a little fun, little lightning round of questions for our guests at the end. But before we move into that part, I want to make sure that you guys don't have anything else you guys want to kind of address or talk about, or if you have anything you want to plug. Um, I know Dr. Amador's plugged Boston, Massachusetts like a thousand times. So if anything, <laughs> you walk away from this knowing Boston, Massachusetts is a great place to live. It's cold and it pays one of the highest in the, in the nation. So that's what I got from this. So. I think we're all going to move to Boston. I know. I know. It's going to be rough, but it's okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to make a plug and say Kansas is a really wonderful place. Um, my wife was born in Russia Wow. moved to Israel when she was a little child and lived there until she was a teenager and then moved to Ohio and then moved to Kansas. And she tells me, I never saw myself in my entire life living in Kansas. And I bet but, also marrying a boy from Kansas. <laughs> right, right. And she, and she says like that she loves Kansas. It's a really great place to be. So I'm making a plug for Kansas. And I just want to um, follow up with what Andrea said so beautifully that um, look at all the work that Boston Public Schools did and where they're at. You have to understand that this takes time. You cannot think, well, we got to get more school psychs. And if we don't do it by next year, then I'm just going to give up. You know, you have to see one more school psych in two years may be a great progress, you know. Um, so just realize that this work that we're saying with the Estes program leads districts to be able to advocate for more school psychs, which then in turn will be better for students. So just keep at it. Yeah, I'll add to that. Start in something meaningful for your community and commit to each year doing something else, right? So as Tyler said, we didn't start where we are. This has been 12 years of work. And so start with what's important. One of our first steps was making partnerships and redeveloping an internship program. Interns are wonderful in every sense, including helping you do the application, helping you do the practice model. But pick one thing and each year commit to just building. Um, and the other thing I just want to say in closing is we've talked a lot about Brooke and Tyler and I about the committee that we love so much, but NASP has so many resources. And I think sometimes the website has so many people sometimes don't look at it. But I encourage you too, because anything that you're looking for a solution on, um, from building partnerships or a PD, it's there. Somebody in NASP has that resource for you. So we want to just make sure that folks are um, engaging in NASP, using the resources. And the conference is always a wonderful place to come. And, and we believe it will be in person, fingers crossed, next year, and maybe have a, a virtual element as well. But doing coming to um, NASP summer conferences and full conferences and your state association conferences in Texas are incredible, are a great way for people to start to um, learn more about the practice model. I'm going to let Brooke kind of take it from here and do our fun little lightning questions we like to do with everybody. These are typically just like a couple word 
answers, but if you want to go on a diatribe about why Sophie's Choice for some reason is your favorite movie of all time, we will let you do it. This is your platform to go for it. So go ahead, Brooke. All right, let's uh, start with Tyler. Your go-to snack. Cookies, definitely my number one. Sun chips, those are my probably top two. All right, Andrea, how about you? Uh, all Mexican food, all the time, so nachos. <laughs> Andrea's, Andrea introduced me to the uh, to the the chocolate pinata at Uncle Julio's. If you haven't tried it, you you got to do that. All right, yeah, Andrea, please, uh, uh, Brooke, please describe real quick what is a chocolate. Pinata. Oh my goodness, it comes out on this giant. <laughs> you can't just drop like, that and then this, just. Yeah, move on. I'm sorry. It, it it comes out on this like giant charcuterie board, and it's it's this chocolate pinata that's hanging from a from a contraption, and you. Get get this uh like baseball bat you get to break that pinata and out comes all of these churros and other what? things that you get to dip into whipped cream and almost like a uh, fondue chocolate uh, oh man it's amazing and how does san san antonio not have this this is ridiculous looking to see if we have an uncle julio's in Dallas. yeah i'm gonna go ahead and look it up too. Go ahead, continue. oh my goodness <laughs> lubbock has an uncle julio's you should come to lubbock sometime so anyway okay andrea all-time favorite movie i have too many ridiculous movies to publicly name so instead i'll tell you my favorite city in texas which is san antonio hands down i love it right what a segue that was dr (laughs) Uh, how about you tyler mine's not that old one but probably one that maybe not a lot of people have watched but it's called the sixth man and it's um, one of my just favorite movies because it's it's you'll cry, you'll laugh. It's about a, a pair of brothers that grow up with each other and play basketball. And um, one of them passes away and he kind of comes back as a ghost and um, messes with his brother and helps him play basketball. So it's just a really great movie. Um, that, that, one, that one has one of the Wayne's brothers in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Late 90s movie, I think. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, I seriously think the two of you are long lost brothers because <laughs> I, now that I'm putting this, so I'm about to ask this next question to Tyler. Um, but but I, I know that I mean there are no two more people in this world that give me TV show and and movie recommendations <laughs> than these two guys. So uh, a TV show you usually recommend, Tyler? I can't limit it to one, so I'm gonna just have to do a, a few. Schitt's Creek, The Office. Those are the two funny ones. Serious, it would be Breaking Bad or Ozark. Good choice. Right, I'd throw the wire in there for dramatic too. So <laughs> I'll agree with Tyler on his funny choices and I'll add Big Bang, one of my favorites and the all-time best TV show of all time, MASH. Oh, uh, great choice. When they're flying away at the end, right? I don't to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite assessment to give. Uh, for me, it's our universal screener. We use the BiMass too. Only 12% of schools in the nation are doing universal screening. 100% of schools should be doing universal screening so we can find the behavioral health needs of our kids. And what was that called again? The BiMass 2, B-I-M-A-S-2. And it's a universal screener and progress monitoring tool. And very economical. Yeah. How about Tyler? Well, my answer is not going to be as cool as that, but I like the Towery, Towery 2, which is the test of word reading efficiency, 45 seconds per subtest, and there's two of them, and it gives you a good measure of their um, word reading as, uh, as well as their orthographic processing. Look at that. Oh, man. Look at Look at off that. the beaten path of both of your answers. <laughs> Tyler, coffee or tea? 
coffee 100% of the time. Uh, I'm a black coffee drinker, um, but recently we got an espresso and I have been absolutely loving to dabble into some different coffees. Andrea, coffee or tea? I'm from Boston. There's only one answer here, Brooke. Duncan, Boston. Duncan. <laughs> Duncan. My only, only complaint about Texas is I go to Texas. There are no Duncans. Yeah, we got them now. We've we got them the now. Yeah, we got it now. I love that old SNL skit from a few years ago when yeah. Casey Affleck with the little Duncan skit. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, an unusual or fun fact about yourself, Andrea. I have swum with sharks. What? Um, and it's funny because it makes me like sick willingly. Yes, it's like I'm super adventurous, hip, cool person. Until I tell you that they were nurse sharks. Anybody who knows anything about nurse oh, well. sharks, is, <laughs> they kind of just stay on the bottom of the ocean and it completely ignore you. So it's really not as freaking. <laughs> so real, real quick, just real quick insight. As a Hawaiian, I am a little bit embarrassed to say this, but I have a huge fear of the deep ocean, um, mostly because I can't see it and I'm at you know, I'm at a disadvantage no matter what down there. And really, we haven't really seen a whole bunch of stuff. So that's something that is on my bucket list to do, um, just because I feel like I would be beating one of my fears at that point. But yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's something down there that will immensely, that it can eat me like in a second. So Chris, you're more likely to get killed by a cow than a shark. So just well, I live in Texas, so that might be a little bit higher for me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, Tyler, Tyler, actually, butter unusual fact. Yeah, well, Chris, I'm on the same path with you, Brooke. I think I've told you this before. I have a, a severely irrational fear of sharks. And in fact, when I fly over the ocean, my biggest fear is crashing into the ocean and not just dying, but getting eaten by a shark. So yeah, not just impact death, right? Yeah. Just like everything it's else. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. And finally, besides your family, what sparks joy in your life? For me, it's travel. I love traveling everywhere and anywhere. Um, my husband is, as I said, from Honduras. He loves football. So we go to the World Cup. Uh, just, I love traveling. Well, Brooke, you know that anything I do, my wife is doing. And so you can't, you can't separate saying family for me because if I'm doing something, my wife's doing it with me. And so that's my favorite thing is just getting to spend. And honestly, for me, while COVID has been an absolutely horrible thing for families uh, and a lot of people, it was one of the best things for me in that I got to spend nonstop time with my wife. Um, and that was, that was really um, a great thing. Oh, I agree oh, with that. Oh, that was something oh. that, cause we just had our, we just had a son that was born. So we got to spend time that instead of he would be in daycare or something we got like a year of just hanging out me and mm -hmm. my wife and my one transitioning from one to two year old son it was so i agree with you tyler it was great it really helped us bond together mm -hmm. you're, you're a rule breaker that's all i have to <laughs> sorry say. <laughs> we're school psychologists right we do hey, that. uh <laughs> thank, thank you all for being on with us um this has been so helpful and um I hope uh, I hope we can get you down in person one of these days again uh, and and talk about this to to our membership. So really appreciate y'all and the passion that you bring. Thank you. I'm waiting for the invite to San Antonio. <laughs> it's it, it just happened. You can come. Come on in. I, I speak for the city. <laughs> my fam my family's from San or I grew up so, in San Antonio, so I'll meet you down there for some Mexican. Main come down here too. Find a, <laughs> find a damn Uncle Julio's down here and get a chocolate pinata. <laughs> There's one in Dallas, by the way. Okay, anyone? then we'll just go back to Dallas. <laughs>
Well, you know, I want to thank the listeners as well for joining us again on the Task Talks podcast. Um, remember to follow our official Task Facebook and Instagram accounts at TXASP. And also, you know, look into becoming a NAS member and look into the application to see how you can grow yourself and your district. Make sure you follow us everywhere where you can get all the up-to-date info on what is happening in our field and what the board is currently up to. And until next time, make good choices. Hmm.